we talk about bullying a lot on this podcast uh, when when I'm teaching sandlots or coaching camps or whatever. Um, so I think what I want to what I'd love to hear is from Blake. It obviously it traumatized you being bullied and it put a chip on your shoulder. But what can you say to that kid that's being bullied? And and that's my eight year old daughter in the dance class. Sometimes that's uh, the kid on the sandlot that's never played before. Um, it, what what can you say to that kid um, that's being bullied? And then Coach Chad, the dad, what can you tell that coach or that parent um, about when you see bullying happening on your baseball field? Um, so maybe uh, train you first. Uh, we got a nickname. All right. The train. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's unfortunate anytime somebody gets bullied. Nobody should ever have to go through it. But, and I, I, I've tried to find a way to say this because I'm not encouraging somebody to go out and look to be bullied so you have a character building moment. But if you are bullied, it's about what do you do with it? And, you know, if you don't have an identity in Christ or have parents who are, you know, pushing, like a greater purpose of what your life is for. Um, and I was blessed to have that. It's really hard to get through. Cause I look back and I'm like, yeah, there were some hard moments, but it was more or less more of just kind of like an inward emotional battle that I had because I was not so much physically battled as I was with words. And so, okay, let me get back to it. So I'm not encouraging anybody to go out and get bullied, but if you, if you are bullied, you know, what can you use? I think it allows your thin skin to get thicker. I think it allows you to understand that people who bully are also hurting in some way, shape or form. Um, and that's how they're processing. It doesn't make it right, but you have to understand where did they come from to where they felt like that was all right. And I remember reading the book, The Shack, and there was a moment in there where this person was described or this character was described as the Holy Spirit, right? And they said, they took this, this man back in this vision. And it was this dad who was abusive <clears throat> to um, this child. And I said, who's wrong here in this situation? And it's like the dad 100% should never hit a child. And then he showed him another scene where another dad was beating a child, you know, like just out of anger, you know, like hitting him way too much, like abusive over the top. And after the, after he showed this man the image of the second father he's like well who's wrong here and he goes the dad 100 percent." he goes well that dad in the first scene is the child in the second scene so what he has learned to do is when he's angry is to lash out so and i'm not saying that all bullies have that type of background they might be hurting with self-confidence they might only know how to lash out because of what they've been taught so it doesn't make it right or wrong but you have to like kind of understand where they're coming from because everybody's hurting in one way, shape or form. Their hurting is now, you know, pressed onto you. Not that it's not that you deserve it, but I think when we are, when we develop parts of empathy, like it can be used to benefit others and then give you a change of perspective. So like for me, when I was a kid and I was bullied, I was publicly humiliated once to the point where I was like, man, this guy was supposed to be like the class president and the senior leader on the baseball team. And he publicly shamed me in front of everybody. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, like, what am I doing wrong that like I'm inviting this 
And um, as I've gotten older, you just start thinking, you know, maybe there's more healing for the other person than like what I have to go through because that's all temporal and it, and it stinks. And like, you know, it's your hometown and people can kind of see these things play out and they kind of, whatever that happens, it kind of sticks in the back of their mind for a long time. But I think you just use what happens to you and you just speak about it. You can't be afraid of it. You can't be ashamed of it. You don't have to tell everything. Like there's going to be some things that cut pretty deep. I think it's important to, you know, share it with some, somebody, you need to be able to tell everything to at least somebody to heal. Um, but, uh, I, I think use it to benefit you. Like life is never easy. Like, and it starts at a young age. Like today I woke up and took a cold shower. I've been doing it for almost two years now because the first task of my day, I read somewhere like, you know, military training and some, some ranks, they teach you to challenge yourself with misery. The first task of your day so that everything else is kind of like a little bit easier as you go on. So like, if you face adversity, like you find a way to push through it because, Hey, you've already conquered a nice shower, you know? So something as simple as that. And, um, I think once you realize that life can suck, sometimes life can be really beautiful. Sometimes, um, it's what you do in between, I think is what can shape you as a person. Um, and like, I look around in today's culture and it's so easy to just be addicted to being offended as opposed Mm -hmm. to saying, you know what, there's always going to be people who are struggling. There's always going to be bad people. There's always going to be good people. And like, who cares what happens in that moment? You can control what you do next. So like, I, I don't get like the bully thing is, is one thing. I just, I think as I've become a dad, like you guys are, you, you see compassion for kids when they're hurting because you always want them to experience the best of life and have this sense of wonder. Like that's when I find the most joy as a dad, I think this is one of your questions is like, is when I look back in my mirror and we're driving through the mountains and I see like my son looking out the window, just like, wow, this is so cool. Or like we're at the beach and my daughter is just flabbergasted because like waves are crashing and she's like, what is this between my toes? Like this wonder that God's like given us, you know, in front of us to just enjoy and discover. And um, that to me is what every kid and person should be able to do at all times. But honestly, that's probably heaven. So we're here. We're, we're fighting a struggle. I think we find ways to have compassion and love through everything and uh, the best we can because we're not perfect. Um, but I think our struggles in the past sculpt us for who we are today. And you can't like get hung up on them. You just have to find a way to either a make a change yourself and those around you so that it doesn't, it doesn't happen at least as much um, or b sculpt the people who are affected by it in a negative way so that they can become just better equipped to moving on in life. That's great. Yeah. I wish I wish I was that well spoken to to sh- to communicate that with my kids like you just did. That uh, two oh. things stuck stuck out to me uh, is we just interviewed David Mickey Evans yesterday. Um, he was bullied as a kid uh, and and really not invited to the baseball field or anything like that. He had a lot of bullies uh, living around him. He wrote a script and he turned those bullies into heroes, and it's called The Sandlot. And, and he really, uh, he, he wrote about the childhood he never had. So that's what he did about it. That's, that's how he responded to the yeah. bullying is by writing the, a movie called The Sandlot, which is, is so inspiring from, from, from that aspect. I also love how you, 
you spoke of, of building maturity. When you are bullied, if you can have the perspective to put yourself into the bully's shoes, wow. I mean, that is, that is maturity. And I try to, as a coach, I think that's one of my number one priorities. Can I teach these kids to be more mature? Uh, and, um, you know, I do that the best I can uh, because I have kids bullying each other all the time. But Chad, the dad, uh, you know, when you see this happening on your field, how do you go about it? Uh, two instances come to mind. Uh, the first is uh, we played against a kid and all of a sudden there was this rumbling in the dugout of, oh, they know this kid. And, uh, and this guy's a bully at school and this, that, and the other. And I said, well, the way to really get at a bully, if you just are mean to them or this, that, and the other, that doesn't really change their heart. The true way to get at a bully is be nice, be kind. Like when they're coming at you, respond in a different way. And, uh, and that's really how you can potentially change how a bully's going about it. Cause what both of y'all said, they're going through something. Uh, and if you match their anger or their poor attitude with anger and a poor attitude, you're just going to perpetuate the same actions, but you have an outside chance. If, if you flip the script and uh, you treat them like you want to be treated and you be nice. So that would, that was, that's my advice for how to handle getting bullied easier said than done. Um, and then the other thing is you asked about as a coach. So we had a practice about two weeks ago where it was brought to my attention that one of my players was being perceived as bullying a teammate. And uh, as a coach, your culture is what you tolerate, right? So uh, I called the kid over, loved this kid who's, who was a, being, you know, bullying. And uh, I told him, hey, this is a good life lesson because you don't think you're bullying him. And he was shocked. He's like, well, I'm just goofing off. I go, I understand that. But the form of empathy is seeing it through someone else's eyes. And whether you're bullying him or not, your teammate, it feels bullied. So it's important for you to be able to sense that. And if it's funny to you, but the person you're doing it to, you can read their body or like how they're responding to it. That's empathy is making sure like you got to make them feel good too, especially on a team. Like we're brothers. So uh, that, that's how I handle it. Uh, those are just two instances. And I encourage any coaches out there, um, be sensitive to that and, and don't let anything slide. I, I had a kid email me. Uh, he'd been coming to my sandlots forever. And then he goes and tries out for a little league team. And he immediately gets bullied uh, by the best player on the team. And the coach didn't say anything, didn't, didn't notice it, didn't bring the two kids together to have a teaching moment about empathy. So he emails me and he's like, I was crying and, and it was awful. And I'm like, here's what you do tomorrow. Anytime somebody makes a mistake, because you were making some mistakes, making some bad throws, and the bully was screaming at you. Anytime somebody makes a mistake tomorrow, run up to them, give them a fist bump and say, I know how you feel. It's okay. Get them next time. 90 minutes later, who's going up and giving kids fist bumps? It was the bully. The bully responded in that way because somebody got into his shoes. And as parents and coaches, this is super, super important. And uh, I, I, I love that you are well-spoken enough to share uh, so eloquently on the topic of bullying because it pushes a lot of kids into bad decisions. And so thank you for sharing. I think the cool thing, what you said about uh, uh, this is, I'm not even going to try to, you know, say the guy's name because I should know it. The man who wrote uh, the Sandlot. Um, I think the cool thing is, is we have the power to speak life or death. And, um, you know, a soft-spoken word calms, you know, a, a spirit. So, like, I feel, I feel like if you can speak life about a situation, you can, you can turn, you know, the anger. 
you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, let me reword that. If you, if you take the time to retaliate, like you were saying, Chad, as a, as a bully, Oh, I'm going to get after this guy because he's a bully at school. Like you're only breeding more anger and the bar will keep going up. But if you, if you speak a soft word or if you encourage in a way and you don't give life, like, cause he did, he could have written a, uh, a movie about being bullied. And what does that talk about? It gives life to bullying and people are like, Oh, well, there's a movie about it. It's kind of cool. It's kind of glorified to be a villain. And that's why they don't show anybody running on a field anymore. They don't want them to have the glory of being on a field. It's like, think bad things happen but the more that you give life to it the more it will happen so like you only know what you see and what you hear if you choose to speak positive in those situations and not say oh people need to know every detail about my sob story like and i don't mean this in the best way like if i go out and tell everybody what happened to me through the details then people have ideas of what they can do and what kind of bullying is out there if you say hey look you know what somebody's going through a tough time i was bullied but i loved on them I forgave them when they apologized to me. Um, you know, like there's just so much more life and, and growth through that than, than focusing on the negative. Like, but I don't know why, like I keep having all these like scriptures bouncing off me right now, but like tomorrow has its own worries. Don't worry about yesterday. Focus on today. Like don't worry about tomorrow. So in the moment, just focus on like, how can you make a situation better, a relationship better, and not focus on the negative aspect of it. And I think I did not know that about the Sandlot until right now. And I yeah. feel like there's a lot of profound wisdom, whether he knew what he was doing in the moment or not. Yeah. Benny, the jet could have been a villain could have easily been, but he was the nicest kid on the field. And yeah, uh, yeah no, uh, <laughs> super, super powerful stuff. And, and that, I mean, I think that's what makes that movie last. And I told uh, David Mickey Evans, they call him DME, uh, you know, why it lasts. It's that relationship with Smalls and Benny the Jet. Everybody wants to see that. Everybody wants to see the best player be kind to the newcomer, to the kid who's no good at all. And to see those two personalities Mm -hmm. mesh, um, I think this is what it takes. Conversations like this, where we're we're talking about difficult issues, but man, I just love that idea of empathy. I just love jumping into somebody else's shoes when when they're screaming at you and they're being mean to you. Why? Let's let's dig deep and get into the why. I try to communicate that with my daughters and you know and all my players. So um, strong stuff, Chopper. Back to you. I got a good transition from getting bullied to I have a question for you. Who's on your teammate Mount Rushmore? So that's four I faces. I do some thinking about this. I've got two Rushmores. Okay, I've got, I love that. Yeah, I've got love like that. a Hill a Hill Rushmore, which is not any any knock about character because these people are like strongholds in my life, probably more so than some of the, the guys I'm going to put in the big league roster, okay? But my minor league Mount Rushmore is going to be this. TJ Walls, Josh Bowman, Blake Hasselbrock. Who are my mainstays. I still talk to Bowman Hasselbrock and there's some close ones that didn't make the list. Um, but all these guys were huge and instrumental to me. Actually, TJ Walls is the reason I met my wife. So um, for those who don't know, I met my wife on Christian Mingle and he created a fake account for me. Not fake. It was real. <laughs> I didn't know about it. I was deleting my Facebook and he went on and screenshot all my pictures and created a profile for me on, on Christian Mingle. 
and awesome. he would like took his phone and put it in front of my face and was like hey look at all these people that want to talk to you and i'm like what are you talking about and i said christian Ming. i was like dude you're an idiot what are you doing <laughs> and so i just ignored it and i go back to his house and train with him in the off season and i go on to delete it because i just have way too many messages and like spam stuff from it and i was like well i'll just get on and see what it's like and then long long story short i met my wife through christian mingle and we dated got married you know a year and a half later so um yeah tj walls is on that list and then in the big leagues it's this one like i'm not i wouldn't say like we've shared a lot of like like life stories or you know had a beer together kind of kind of friend but he's on the on this list because he shaped whether he knows it or not he shaped my handle my business as a man of faith as a baseball player and husband and a dad and that's adam roach and then chris heisey um and then lou trevino's on there because he's just such a close buddy when i was in oakland he's he's a goofball great guy um phenomenal stuff um and then uh matt belisle uh is another one and i don't know if anybody knows that name but he's probably one of the guys who's had a really solid career that most people will not have heard his name at the dinner table and his last few years of his career he put up some pretty solid numbers so um he he challenged me with a thought process of how to get better uh every day even through spring training with with journaling uh three um good things that I did and one bad thing. And then the next day focus on the bad thing and write down three good things. He goes, because science shows that um, for every bad thing that you put in your mind, you need to put three positives to counter it. And I was like, Love all right. That. So he goes, if you ran really good today, write it down. What's the one thing you could get better. I was like, well, I wasn't finishing my off speed. I was just lazy with it, trying to go through the motions. He's like, all right. So tomorrow you're going to work on your off speed. And so the next day you write about how did you benefit on your off speed, write down three things you did really well. And one thing you did terrible. And then, so after the whole spring training in 2016, I did that. And I ended up having the best year of my career up to that point in 2016. And I've always kind of kept that in the back of my mind. I don't do it full fledged anymore. Um, sometimes you have to go back to the drawing board and that's always in the back of my mind. Like, Hey, how do I get back to, you know, who I am as a player? And I think it's, the mindset of doing little things like flossing so you don't lose your teeth you know <laughs> yeah you helped me with uh hey chopper uh floss and make your bet mm -hmm. you're like dude floss and make your bed and craig, rochelle. craig rochelle yes. life church oklahoma there you go you've already done two things and you feel like you've already accomplished some jazz <laughs> yeah. um i love that i talk to our players about that all the time being a good teammate is challenging your teammates and holding them accountable so it's cool that matt Belisle is giving you that kind of that roadmap to where you could better yeah. yourself. And that's just being a great teammate. I love that coach ball game. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, to kind of get back to your up and down uh, career of uh, South Dakota state, not getting the, the chance to try out at Arkansas um, and, and then just training and running and, and getting this fastball to go from 79 to 88. And then you find yourself in, 2011 senior year you're throwing high 90s is do you have a moment where you're like oh I've just figured out how to throw it 10 miles an hour faster um unpack that a little bit man it, getting that getting that fastball and then maybe without giving away any secrets how do you throw that wiffle ball uh that only Javier Baez can hit <laughs> <laughs> Okay. 
no, so uh, I think the key to my velocity, first of all, is is God. It's his plan for my life. I can't explain like why he chose me to throw a ball the way I do. Um, it's, I mean, the cliche of saying it's humbling. I just, I really don't know why that's the direction of my life, but that's what he has me doing. And I'm very grateful for it. Um, I worked really hard, but you know, when I went to South Dakota State my first year, I had to redshirt and I ended up like hurting my shoulder and I'm going to kind of preface this real quick. Um, I ended up hurting my shoulder and I thought I needed, they thought I needed surgery. They're like, Oh, you have a slap tear. You got to go, we got to go in and cut everything out and stitch it up. It's, I was like, okay, so what's the recovery rate on this? And he goes, ah, it's 20% recovery rate. I'm like, uh, no, I'm going to need some more opinions. And our trainer in South Dakota state, thank God said, Hey, let's get an MRI. So this guy was saying surgery before an MRI and I get an MRI and I remember praying about it. And I got family who, who are a bunch of prayer warriors in my church back home and they they start praying and, um, I get an MRI and they're like, Oh, it's just rotator cuff tendonitis. I'm like, so we went from slap tear career, career ending, potentially surgery to just rotator cuff tendonitis. And so I spent like a month just like letting this thing recover. Um, Cause I could barely lift my arm with the baseball at the time. And, um, I was thinking to myself, God, like, why is this happening? You brought me all the way here in my first semester. Like I'm my shoulders torched, like, and, um, signed up recovering and I threw in a sim game. I did a bunch of like shoulder preventative shoulder stuff. Cause my posture wasn't great. And like, I'm pretty chest dominant guy, you know? So I needed to develop a lot of stuff in my back to help counter that and keep me in good, good form. Um, and it really just kind of protect me when I throw. And so whenever, uh, I was recovered, we had a canceled game midweek against North Dakota, um, the fighting Sioux. And, um, whenever we, you know, that game was canceled. We did a sim game at home and they had me on the mound. And I remember we had, our team was really good offensively granted at South Dakota state. And it's not like an Arkansas. So people are going to write that off, but we had the second best offense in all of baseball behind, um, I think New Mexico state, which is in Albuquerque. And that's like a launching pad, even from, you know, the minor leaguers they are like, this place is incredible to hit. Um, but we had, our guys hit the ball extremely well and the fastball, especially. And so I remember, throwing fastballs by these like all conference players. And, and I'm like, what is going on? And our catcher was fired up. He's like, Hey, I want that guy on our team this weekend. And, but I couldn't, I had to redshirt because I started my pitching clock at Baker transfer D one wouldn't have had to sit out. But since I went D one to D one, I had to sit out even though I didn't play. It was really weird, but total God thing. It allowed me to develop. Um, so that summer I went to Laramie, Wyoming, and I was in the Rocky Mountain Collegiate League, which I don't even know if it exists anymore, but it was, or it's been restructured. It was just four teams. It was Laramie, Cheyenne, Fort Collins, and Greeley. Um, and the guy I had there, Justin Wicker, was really huge in my approach to pitching. He goes, I promise you, every single person, and this was his philosophy, whether it's true or not, I kind of have some belief behind it. He goes, every person, if they train right and give all their effort, can throw a ball at least 90 miles an hour, at least 90. He goes, but people don't know how to throw with intent. They've been taught to pitch their whole lives. How do I command the zone? Well, you don't worry. You don't think about what you're fully capable of intensity wise and throwing wise. So we're at like 7,200 feet, right? Our ball field to dead center was like 440, 430. Like, cause the ball flies. It's insane. The corners was like 360. It's like the most incredible thing, but we would, we would long toss all the way across the field, like three days a week. And then on those days, we'd come in to 70 feet and we'd throw the ball as hard as we could through each other. He's like, I'm going to teach you to throw with intent. He's like, once you realize what your body's capable of throwing, then you can try to aim smaller and miss smaller. He's like, but I want to see what you're capable of. 
So I just started throwing the crap out of the ball as hard as I could, threw them at like 70 feet. And then that taught me the idea of like throwing through a target, because if you can feel like you can drive a ball at 70 feet and you get into 60 feet, six inches, it becomes way easier. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back after a summer there, which there was a couple of injuries that ended my season, my season in summer ball. Um, but when I came back, my first time off the mound, I was 90, 93, and I'd never touched 90 before. And, but I was a little bit erratic, right? Because the philosophy he was teaching me was just throw the crap out of the ball over the big part of the plate. And um, my pitching coach came out. He's like, Hey, you're throwing the ball hard. Everybody's impressed. Throw it over the plate. I was like, okay. He's like, you're 90, 93. Okay. Like we're all excited about it. Just throw a strike. I was like, okay. <laughs> I started focusing on throwing strikes and then that led into full, you know, off season or I call it off season, but winter uh, college season of just learning how to throw the ball over the plate control the zone in halves at least, or just be on the zone because at the mid-major level, velocity tends to dominate more than anything. And I could just choke a changeup and bounce it on the plate and guys are swinging because you just don't, at my, there was always a guy on each team that when I was at South Dakota State that could throw 90. Few teams had guys that threw over 94. And if you did, they just pretty much walked through conference. Um, but if you, most guys threw like 84, 86 with like four pitches they could command at the college level. Now I wouldn't call them command in the big leagues, but at the college level. So um, that's where my velocity first came from. And then I started learning to like weight train the right way. I mean, the right way, I don't know, but it was powerlifting. And our coach knew a lot about how to train a football player. And I thankfully didn't get hurt and I got stronger and more explosive. And by the time I um, came back for my fifth year, um, I was throwing 94, 97 and I didn't sustain that the whole game. No college kid really does, at least when I was going through. You'd see a lot of guys that would sit 94, 97, and then they would taper off like 90, 93 at the end of the game, unless your name was Garrett Cole or Trevor Bauer. You know, those guys or Matt Perk. Those guys were the ones that were like, you know, totally different and held their velocity, and that's why they were first-rounders, first overall picks. Um, but, yeah, um, I – it was funny when I first got to South Dakota state, I told myself my first year, I need to be 88 to 91. I think I did that in that game where I was throwing fastballs by our guys. My second year, I need to be 91, 94. And then my last year, I need to be 94, 97. So that way, even if I fall a little bit short, I'm at least giving scouts something to look at, Hey, he's got a strong enough arm. We might be able to make him into a bullpen arm or at least draft him because my goal was like, Hey, I'm going to school to get a degree. But like I'm chasing this because I, I truly feel like God has a calling on my life to play baseball. So set some steep standards, work your tail off and see what happens. Cause I never wanted to look back at my career and say, you know what? I didn't give it enough right there. Um, and that's why I didn't make it. I wonder if I would have given it everything I had and a little bit more. Could I have been X, Y, or Z in my career? And so I remember a lot of times and not that running correlates, but I think it trains the mind to work hard there were times I started running four miles, four days a week, you know, just to like challenge myself to, to not be upset about like punishment runs. I mean, I would get, I got drug into a punishment run one time because I was 30 seconds late to uh, study hall. I couldn't find parking in the snow out in the parking lot. <laughs> so I was 30 seconds late and the guy's like, and we had just, what we did is we call it, it called it earn your weekend. And um, so you, you do a, a team split with pitchers um, early in the morning on Friday morning. You go in at like five in the morning at the basketball arena and you do like competition running. Like you do a, a timed mile, you do an average of all your, all your guys on your team. 
So I would just blister as hard as I could. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but I never lost a single competition in running. Like, and I'm not the fastest guy. I just, I gave a rip, you know, and I, I tried hard and, um, and I remember we won and I was so excited because I don't want to wake up at six o'clock on Saturday morning, you know, when I've got my weekend and I can sleep in like, and so he, uh, they said, yeah, you got to come in Saturday morning and do this workout. And I remember telling myself, like, I could either sit here and be disgruntled and get nothing out of this because, and just complain the whole time, because that's what people do when they have punishment runs or if they lose, or I could say, you know what, you're not going to get that gratitude because some college coaches love seeing players complain. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, I'm showing them like, and that's not the way our coach was, but you know, maybe there was some fun in it for him. Um, and I just remember saying, I'm, I'm actually getting better. So I don't care. Like you're here thinking you're punishing me, but I'm actually getting better. So you're welcome. You can use me later. <laughs> and that's just how I viewed it. I, I tried to push myself. I'd, we'd get done with our workouts. I'd go to the hyper and, and run more, or I'd, you know, do some extra shoulder work and just find things to do. I, I don't know, but I just didn't want to look back at my career and say, what if I did more? Awesome. Amazing, man. Uh, just the, uh, the fact that that you can uh, you can just will these things to happen it, it's it's kind of it's inspiring like the 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 way you talked about your your kids they look out and wonder and use their imagination um, I mean you you're you're basically just uh, believing in yourself that you can go from seventy nine to eighty eight to ninety seven and you're willing to outwork everybody else that that fires me up man so uh a boy to you chopper what do you got a couple things uh one thing uh what blake talked about was throwing some long toss and throwing with intent uh we just had uh last week coach strom brent strom came out and talked to our high school and our uh, club team and brent strom's a baseball lifer now the d-backs pitching coach uh, was a pitching coach for the astros won a world series with him and he talked about that he goes everyone gets so caught up on throwing strikes or trying to just locate he's like no you gotta be able to throw hard and the only way to throw hard is to throw hard you know which is silly but it's true like you got to throw with some intent and you got to let it eat uh so that was pretty cool and then the other thing i want to touch on is this is for the guys that want to play at a higher level which uh you know a lot of kids say they want to play at a higher level blake listen to what blake said he went out and worked when no one else was willing to work you know he went out and was doing things after a workout like where you really grow and surpass your peers getting to where you want to go is not at practice. Like you're going to work hard at practice. And so is everyone else. What are you going to do outside of practice? If you're willing to do what no one else is willing to do someday, you'll be able to do what no one else can do. And you look at Blake and what he's able to do on the mound. And that's the good Lord, give him that strong will and that belief, but man, greatness doesn't happen by accident. Like this is a young man who worked his tail off and to this day works his tail off. And that's, that's why he gets to be under the bright lights being awesome. You know, pretty cool, pretty powerful. A uh, question I have, what is your favorite Major League Baseball city to visit? And I was talking to Katie about this last night. And Katie's my wife. Um, I was talking to her, and I, I really just – it's changed because some cities have just so drastically changed. You know, I think early in my career I really loved Seattle, um, just being able to walk to Pike Market and take in the, the sunrise. Um, uh, over the, I think it's over the sound, right? Puget Sound. I really enjoyed that. The Athenian, I'm a big fan of the Athenian breakfast. Um, and even I had a chance to eat their clam chowder once. So huge fan. Uh, but, you know, San Francisco early in my career was really fun. And that city's changed a lot now too. Um, 
but and it pains me to say this san diego is nice it's a nice yeah. place yeah i grew up going there you know they're it's a, they're a good team they're a great team i love the city though the city's great i've i've got a heart for it um let's see kansas city's fun for me because that's yeah. home um beautiful park I, and honestly, Chop, this year when we went to Miami, it was pretty cool. That was a different place. I've never stayed there before. They had us on a, at a really cool um, resort, which is um, – was it? where was it at? Like uh, on the beach, game. right? Key yeah, Biscayne on the beach. And I've only heard of that place in songs. Never been there. Yeah. And uh, now I know why people write about Steely it. Steely Dan. Steely Dan. <laughs> Steely Dan. Biscayne Bay. You and Steely Dan. As long as it's not Phantom of the Opera in the car, I'm okay. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, oh, way too much Phantom of the Opera. We should just Phantom the Phantom of the Opera. That's what we seen should do. It, seen it five times, <laughs> both coasts. Wow. Uh, how many how many hours of your life is wasted on that? I'm just curious. Man, it's a. I mean, I, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful show. Hey, to, to I recommend their, it. Teach yeah. their own. There you go. Man, I I I um I wanted to surprise Chopper, and maybe this is how we'll close it out. Maybe we'll divvy this up into a two-parter because it's just so good and so juicy good. and 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 great and and impactful for a lot of different types of kids and and parents out there. But I wanted uh, to create a brand new segment called Play and Pepper, and this is just a, a little little Play and Pepper, just some little little questions um uh, and they can be quick answers but i'd love to hear these answers from both of you and then we're gonna let the train go play in the snow uh with yeah. with his boy um mm, yeah. uh, who's uh, who's your favorite actor we'll go train and then uh and then chad the dad favorite actor out there uh, probably denzel washington boom that's a good answer uh, top that one for, i can't uh i'm gonna go with uh it's either al pacino or robert de niro i'll go with pacino Oh man, Denzel is about to uh, release Macbeth. He's he's Macbeth, and then Pacino, um, a scent of a woman. Forget about it. Wah, Oh, <laughs> um, funniest guy in baseball. Funniest guy. He's not in it anymore, but by far the funniest guy I've ever encountered in baseball is Josh Fegley. Funniest dude I've ever met. He would say just one word to you, and the way he said it would have you on the ground rolling. It broke the ice for me when i got to oakland a story off 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 the camera i could probably share with you but like <laughs> he's the funniest dude i've ever met and i hope josh watches this at some point because he's by far one of my he's a sneaky not in the mount rushmore rushmore but yeah honorable mention yeah uh, mount Lathmore. Uh, i mean he's Ke all over <laughs> boom he's, kike yeah, or uh kike or brandon belt and i'm gonna edge it with uh sneaky. brandon belt Ooh, yeah belt. quirky uh favorite band Folks, favorite band? Just playing Pepper. I'll go Dave I'll, Matthews Band. I'll, I'll go Hoodie and the Blowfish. Yeah, Blake. <laughs> I'll go Darius Rucker. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yes. So no, strong. Like anything country and anything country and gospel. I, I like Christian and country. I don't really have favorite band. This is hard for me with doing favorites. So yeah, it's it's a toughie. I I just had a uh, portable tape player, and the first tape I ever had was Cracked Review. Hoodie and the Blowfish, and I'd ride my bike with my little tape cassette player there uh, yes. attached to my, yeah, kids. Uh, kids are amazed when my kids are, when we take them to a hotel and they see a, a phone. I'm like, yeah, that's a phone, kids. And this is a, yeah. this is a radio. <laughs> um, hey, real quick, uh, I think Chop would agree. I think my favorite band this past year, it's not uh, Morgan Wallen. I mean, that's, 
Oh, that was our, that was our, our car. That was our, that was our, that was our go-to Morgan Wall. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can put one instrument in the bullpen. Um, Maybe it gets you fired up, gets you ready to go and chopper. You were, maybe I put it in the on deck circle for you. What's the instrument? Go ahead, Blake. All right. I think, uh, I don't know what the type of drum is, but they're like these big, you know, like drums that are like maybe tall and narrow and people are just like, dum, 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 dum. Oh, so yeah. like Mariano Rivera. I think that's probably something that would get you going, but just based on the sound of the instrument, I think a dirty or a dirge, whatever those are called. I think it's wow. pretty funny. Uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what it does, but I think that would be something to, to, you know, look up and see if it tickle anyone's fancy. I can we, I just can we line that up? I mean, I mean, I think we can try. Uh, he went we dirty. Surprise him. I was gonna go. I was gonna go electric guitar, but then he hit me with a dirty. So now I gotta go a keytar, right? A keytar. <laughs> what's the What's the piano guitar? Is that not a keytar? That's a keytar. No. That's I like that. I have to stress different things. It's It's engraved into my nickname. I have to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Well, yeah, that's a great. I'll answer. go. I'll go didgeridoo and uh, didgeridoo. call it a day. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll narrow it down. Last couple, most talented musician in baseball. Uh, you met any teammates, any coaches out there that you're like, wow, they could, they could go pro. Uh, uh, one for sure. Bronson Arroyo. When I was in, uh, yeah. and I think a lot of people say that, you know, uh, but Kenley is pretty dang good at the base. Uh, he's taught himself quite a bit. So those are my two. Yeah. I'll go Kenley just cause I saw him play the piano in Denver in the, uh, Pretty solid. And that's really all I saw musically. Uh, Kenley on the piano, tickling the ivories, as they say. The kids. I Pretty did sure not know that. this offseason in Curacao. Yeah. 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 Kenley can, Kenley's talented. With his bass, though. Yeah. He, he travels with his bass. True story. Yeah. Never played I'll any go. fan of the opera, though. Still holding out. <laughs> I'll go Bernie you. Williams. I'll go Bernie Williams. Bernie. I, I got yeah, Bernie. Yeah. Love that. Uh, finally, um, the favorite TV show growing up. Final question. Wonder Years for me. Fred Savage. Winnie Cooper. So good. Well, what would Price you do if right. I sang out of tune? Game Price shows is right. Price Bob is Barker. Right. Bob Barker. Price is wrong. Down. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, man. Whenever I, I was I, sick, I, that thing was on. I was, yeah, I faked being sick so I can watch Price is Right. <laughs> right? Actually, I did do it Same. Once. Yes, you had to That's at least fine. once in a while. I woke up. Oh, yeah, a little tickle. Oh, yeah. Tickle in my throat. Go to work. I got this. I got this. <laughs> I got this. Oh, I grew up in North Carolina, so I'll go Andy Griffith show. Barney Five. Oh, that's oh, baby. Yeah. Can you... I was going to say, how's your whistle game? I mean, can you? My... I mean, I feel like we just nailed that. Wow. Oh, man. There you go. I was talking Talk about nostalgia, buddy. That takes you right <laughs> down the lane. Uh, I, man, thank you for coming on. I'm uh, that's all for me, Chopper. That's all I got uh, too. What, he answered. Oh, you know what? He 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 touched on this. Uh, who is your toughest opponent? You mentioned Javier Baez. Does he take the cake, or is there someone else that uh, you put so much fear into everyone else? Is there anybody that I'm not going to say puts fear into you, but uh, that if they're they're in the box, you're uh, you're giving them a little extra attention. Steven Souza. Ooh, that's a that's a last minute audible. And that goes back to our <laughs> joke that Chop knows about. And I hope Susan yes. watches this and you have him on so the show. Oh, why am I on the show? This guy, this guy, it's a it's a story of of a grudge that I had to work out in my heart. That's right. Yep. Long story. We actually finally sorted it out this year because of Chad. Oh, good. 
Yeah, that's no. right. I it was, was the, it the was sorry years ago, but it was funny to it was funny to reopen the wound, you know. Even Sousa Jr. Nah, the, the the real the real bane is probably uh, yeah Freddie Freeman and Juan Soto just command a lot of attention. I don't really know my career numbers against you know, those guys. I've only faced Juan Soto maybe twice, but just the amount of attention that they require in the lineup, I think, is is pretty incredible. So good answer. It's awesome, awesome. We yeah, talked we about appreciate the, you. Yeah, we, we, we uh, I can't wait to uh, air this episode for so many different uh, reasons, but thank you, brother, for coming on. Yeah, if you guys ever need me again for any reason, uh, maybe less heavy topics or we can find <laughs> another heavy topic. We can we can yeah. do a little bit of both. I like playing yeah. pepper and I like getting deep, too. You're, insp- you're inspirational. Uh, your story is powerful, and uh, it's something that I think it's important for kids to know uh, – that it, you can do anything and you you had this belief and this conviction in what god gave you and no matter how many things came in your life to try to take you off that uh you're unwavering in that faith in the lord and that faith in the talent he's given you and uh we love watching you man it's it's a pleasure no. to call you a friend and uh, thank you so much for coming on dude you're the best well likewise chad and um i think the biggest thing i've learned when you're saying like my story is inspirational i've noticed that everybody has a story when they get to any type of career goal, they've got a story. And, um, you know, some, some people relate to it more than others and others, they probably won't. So I think understanding that no matter what your story is, you have a platform to share and bless others. That's what I've learned because I've heard some stories that are pretty, Zach Rex, that guy, incredible story. That's somebody you could probably have on if you want a crazy story. So um, there's some pretty cool stories out there. Yeah. Well, have a great day. Uh, enjoy your you family. Enjoy that snow and a uh, happy new year to you. You're the best buddy. Hope to see you soon. Look, Look at that. that. Look at me. That. Well, all for you guys. Oh. Come play. Next, have a great next, day, buddy. Next time I see you, we'll do a uh, staring contest. That's one thing I got to have is a little uncomfortable. Oh God. <laughs> Just, just, just Take a look yes. at those babes, huh? <laughs> the whole thing is like, which eye do you stare at? You know? <laughs> see you, buddy. Uh, have a great day. See you guys. See ya. Wow. Unbelievable, huh? Yeah. I just added another story to my repertoire. You know, I've got the Daniel Nava. I've got the Roberto Clemente, the Jim Abbott, but uh, we're going to go Blake Trinan and I'm going to look up Zach Rex too. Got to look that one up. Zach Rex is an unbelievable story. It's very similar. Uh, yeah. Very similar story. Uh, we, we should have Zach Rex on, uh, but Blake, Blake is a, he's a special young man. He's, he's got his, Firm beliefs and, uh, you know, unwavering beliefs. And uh, he's been blessed. Uh, we never got, we didn't, you know, we didn't ask him, which I'll tell a little bit. He had a couple accidents. So you talked about how does he throw that, that sinker, that ball that moves that it was the yeah. best pitch of the year by pitching ninja. He had, he had damage to his thumb in his throwing hand. And he, I, I'm bummed out. We didn't ask him maybe next time he comes on, but uh, he had like, he almost lost his thumb from an injury when he wow. was a kid and now it enables him to get to these different positions where his sinker, you know, it's a hundred mile an hour bowling ball. And then he learned that slider grip. I want to say uh, Bauer helped him with that slider grip this last year. And, and that really transformed that pitch used to just be a straight downer, but now it's got that side to side too. I mean, guys, if you haven't seen, most of you have seen him pitch, look up some of his pitches and what they do. That's without spider tack. That's without grip. That's without pine tar. That's nothing. That's just uh Blake Trinan. Unreal, man. Unreal. Cool. Really Atta great. boy. 
Well, hey. Who do we got next week? Next week, we got uh, the uh, titanium catcher, A-squared, Alex Avila. I can't wait, man. He's got a, he can do a mean Jack Parkman. Yeah, buddy. And he's, I mean, he's like the Kevin Bacon of baseball. Like right. Five, five. Yeah. I think you can go all the way to Babe Ruth with him as far as. I think you uh, can. The, the guy has played for a, a lot of different teams. He's been the captain, the catcher for uh, most of those teams. Um, his dad uh, in yes. the offices of Detroit Tigers. So lots to talk about. Really good guy. Met him in Texas um, at the Warstick event. Um, and uh, yeah, he's going to be it's great. Exciting. I'm really excited. Uh, yeah, because everything you just said, I like that's, you talk about uh, when I introduced Brent Strom to my high school kids the other day, uh, I said, He's forgotten more than all of us know combined. And I bet you Alex Avila has forgotten more about baseball than you and I combined. And that's just to speak about how much knowledge he has. And like, man, what a that's going to be such a great guest. I am so excited for that. A sneaky, quiet guy with with a ton of stories. You just know he's got that. He's that just subtly he's going to tell you 15 incredible gems about Max Scherzer and Verlander and Rizzo. And I mean, the list goes on, and and uh, you know, hopefully he's going to continue to play a little bit more. I can uh, only hope this week goes as fast as last week did between the last two episodes. Because <laughs> <laughs> awesome, I can't wait. Man. Hey, have a great day. Hey, you don't forget well. to rake. Don't forget to rake a random act of kindness I'll every day, raking. brother. I know you will. <laughs>